0: Cade Mila Falta, welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello everybody and welcome Falta of to the Letter from Ireland show series 5 episode 3. We invite you to join us today, Mike Collins and myself, Karina, as we travel in the footsteps of our Irish ancestors. And maybe you're wondering where the path of our Irish ancestors takes us today. Well, it's over the sea to Scotland and to the unique city of Glasgow. But before we head off, if any of the items that we mention in the show today catch your attention, you can see all the links in the show notes at aletterfromireland.com forward slash 503. So all the links we mentioned are in the show notes at aletterfromireland.com forward slash 503. Mike and I live in County Cork in the southern part of Ireland. Travelling on the Irish Ancestry Trail takes us to places linked with the Irish who left our shores throughout the centuries and no city is linked more to Ireland and the Irish than the city of Glasgow in the west of Scotland. Visiting Glasgow, we could really feel the connection still of the Glaswegian Irish back to Ireland. The history of the early Irish who left for Glasgow, especially during those terrible famine times in the 1840s, was a harrowing one. They were in desperate straits, those poor people. Many had nothing but the clothes on their backs. The poorest of the poor, the starving and the destitute found their way to that city in search of work and a better life. We discovered the part played by these Irish men and women who made Glasgow their city, helping to make it a great city in the industrial era, digging their canals, building bridges and working in the steel factories. So in today's show, join us on a special journey to Glasgow, Scotland's largest city, where we meet a member of our green room, Joe McLaney, and his wife Mary, a wonderful Glaswegian couple, or Weegees as they say locally. Both Joe and Mary have Irish ancestry and their Irish ancestors made Glasgow their home arriving around the time of the famine and throughout the years afterwards. Listening to the Mclaneys we gained a glimpse of times past as they shared generously their family stories with us. What brought them, the Irish, here to Glasgow and where did they live, the Irish people, when they arrived first in the city? What work did they do and how were they treated by the locals? And what is it like living as an Irish Scot in Glasgow today? Mary and Joe took us places in Glasgow and outside the city with strong links to the early Irish emigrants and indeed these links continue strong to this day. Mary and Joe's Irish ancestors made Glasgow their home. They became proud Glaswegians and Irish Scots. Through their eyes and family lore the times and trials of our Irish ancestors are brought to life. I'm very much looking forward to sharing what we have to say with you today in today's Letter from Ireland show. To start our journey through Glasgow, we went to its old heart upriver from the Clyde to Cathedral Square to see the only Scottish medieval cathedral still standing on the Scottish mainland. This cathedral has links back to medieval times. The original Glasgow Cathedral was built back in the early 1100s, while the current standing cathedral was built approximately six decades later. This is the one we got to see. Like the city itself, the cathedral is dedicated to Saint Mungo and houses the tomb of the saint in the crypt in the cathedral you can't come to glasgow without coming to where it all began and this is where glasgow was founded here in this cathedral square as it is known today because Glasgow Cathedral here is here behind us now this is dedicated to Saint Mungo who was here in the 500s but this area is really really old it's upriver from the River Clyde we started down in the city centre this morning climbed up the hill here up to the Cathedral to be surrounded by these darkened buildings which I believe is what the city has been looking like for the last good few hundred years uh, and it's now they're being cleaned off all over the city but here in the older part of cathedral square here you can see the cathedral still holds that dark colored stone the necropolis is nearby there's the oldest hospital and infirmary nearby so we've lots of places to go and to discover around this really old area of the city if the stones around this part of old glasgow could talk they'd be able to tell us of the great change that happened here in glasgow from its humble beginnings This little town was transformed into one of the most important cities in the British Empire by the 18th century. In no short measure, this was helped by cheap Irish labour, or navvies as they were called. A key event to paving the way for this spirit of industry was the shaking off of the dominance of the Catholic Church. And this happened with the Reformation of 1560, which brought about a shift from religious dominance to a more secular way of life. And the way was open for trade and commerce in the city the merchant town was born. Throughout the 16th century, a roaring trade with the Americans and Europeans transformed Glasgow from a nondescript small little town into a thriving metropolis with huge and expensive buildings. Overruling it all were the tobacco lords, whose vast power was gained, of course, from slave trading and hard-nosed business practices. As we walked around the town that day, we could still see these fine merchant dwellings, but we were on the lookout for where the Irish lived in Glasgow. We passed places linked to the Irish called the Brigate, the Salt Market, the Galloway and Ayres Lane, more about that later, before stopping on the quayside at the banks of the River Clyde. But over to Joe McLaney and Mary, who I'd love to introduce you to now, to tell us some more.
1: Standing by the banks... Of the Clyde, on an absolutely beautiful Sunday, sunny Sunday evening, and we're here with Joe and Mary McLaney and we're hopefully going to ask them about just what significance this very very particular place has for the Irish folks in Glasgow.
2: Yeah, well, this is the spot where the Irish immigrants came in during the famine period. And what's the name of this particular place, Joe? This is the Brumby Law. They call it locally lawroom law. So when you say it's
1: where they came in, you're saying basically that ships would have rolled up from the was it the Firth of Clyde um, and in up the Clyde yes, and they would have disembarked here and where would the actual immigrants have been sent from here?
2: They were sent to uh, an area they called District 14, which is practically walking distance uh, from where we are just now with the salt market area and the Galligate, basically.
1: Okay, and District 14, that was obviously a place that was actually dedicated towards these incoming
2: immigrants. District 14 was mapped out for these folk. It was the poorest housing already in Glasgow. And when the immigrants came in, unfortunately, they were put into the roughest accommodation. And as I look actually around us here,
1: and we just came down from a place called, passed by Airds Lane. We passed by...
2: That's
1: the Brigitte? The Brigate. Passed by the brigates and around there. So would this have been the place where the Irish would have circulated, if you like?
2: Yeah, they still
1: do. Oh, they still do. So your family, in fact, as, as we look up here, maybe 200 yards up the road, actually lived on Airds Lane. Would that be right?
2: That's correct, yes. And
1: which family were they?
2: Uh, that's uh, the Owens family that stayed there. So that was the
1: Owens from County Cavan, yeah? Yes. Okay. And how about you, Mary? Were your fa- did your family come in here at the time?
3: Uh, yes, at the Gallagate.
1: So the Gallagate's a little bit further in again, is it, or yeah. we, we passed by?
3: Yes, it's still within walking distance as well.
1: And what were your what was your family, Mary? What were their names and where did they come from?
3: Uh, they were called the Flynn's. Uh, they were from County Leitrim.
1: Yeah, you know, Flynn is one of those surnames as well, which can come from so many places in Ireland, which can make it just a little bit difficult to track, but you know that much, which is yeah. great so so basically your, both of your families would have kind of come in here over that time and since then i mean joe you say that your family would have been here until when
2: 1890s uh around about that period yeah
1: and where would they have left at that point where would they have gone afterwards
2: well, they used to find what further down the Clyde, going west, and they would be sailed by barge by the companies and the yards and things that operate these and ship down the river, and eventually accommodation was put in place for these people because it was cheaper to have them on site. So they moved with the company, basically.
1: Okay, I'm going to ask a slightly different question, if you don't mind, because, you know, a lot of the people actually listening to this, they're actually very interested in what we call their ethnicity where they came from, how they got here and so on, what their mixes, if you like. And when we actually look, you know, would you consider yourselves, would you consider yourself Scottish, Glaswegian, Scotch-Irish? How would you actually, if you wanted to label yourself, how would you label yourself these days?
2: Well, basically, first and foremost, I'm Glaswegian and I'm an Irish-Scot by, you know, definition, basically.
1: So Irish-Scot would be the thing, yeah? Nice not scotch-irish okay so uh, irish scot i mean what's what's the place of an irish scot in modern scotland in modern glasgow
2: well the fabric of scotland like any place is made up of immigrants and local people and we need to learn to go on and we're just part of the fabric of scotland now you know it's a modern outlooking country i think
1: (laughs) so living here in glasgow and being so close to ireland you find yourself and your family heading back to ireland
2: ireland uh, very regular it's on an annual basis, so we go every year and sometimes for work, which is nice when you get it, but mainly for see family and holiday.
1: And what's, what's you know, do you, do you kind of, um, you know, sometimes people say when they come back from further flung places like Australia, like America, like Canada, they actually feel like they're kind of some kind of coming home. You know, do you, do you get that feeling for Maryland still despite all the generations?
2: Yep, every time we touch her shores, it's like coming home. Lovely.
1: OK, Mary, Joe, thank you very, very much. Appreciate that. Thank
0: you. We weren't surprised to hear Joe describe himself and his family as part of the fabric of Scotland. They've been here a long time after all. But we listened carefully when he clearly identifies as an Irish Scot and not Scots-Irish. This was an important distinction for him sectarian lines are still drawn firmly in a city and while we were visiting protestant orange marches were planned and banned i might add signs of ongoing struggles still exist here so we were beginning to understand a little of the complexity of life that still exists to this day for the irish catholics and their descendants in glasgow joe then went on to tell us some more about his irish ancestors and how they came to be in Glasgow in the first place.
1: And we're standing here in front of the Tenement House Museum, um, more or less in the centre of Glasgow. And um, standing right beside me here, we have Mary and Joel McClaney, natives of Glasgow in the area for many, many, many years. Um, I say many years, there's a story which will actually develop as we go forward. But I'd like just to maybe have a quick word with uh, Joe regarding his family to start. So Joe, uh, thanks very much for showing us around today. You're welcome. And I suppose a question I have is your family from Ireland, uh, were they here in Glasgow for some time already or were you yourself born in Ireland? Just tell us a little bit about your actual family from Ireland.
2: Uh, I was born in Glasgow, my family came over at various periods. at the farming. So on my grandmother's side, one side of the family came at the farming and same on my grandfather's side, family came out at the farming. But other members of the family come over in the 1890s, 1930s, etc. So there's a bit of an ongoing stream. So a question I
1: have for you is, what would have brought them to Glasgow from wherever in Ireland they came at the time, from your perspective?
2: Their economic situation, simple as that.
1: And what was the attraction over here in terms of what sort of work was available when they did come over?
2: Well, they wouldn't really have known what work they were going to get when they came here. Um, It was more the distance. Glasgow between Ireland and Belfast is very short, so that was the main crossing. Some of my family came in at Liverpool and travelled up the country and ended up in Glasgow too. So the work, though, was in the mines. It was mostly labouring work, building the Caledonian Canal, roads, you know, and the railway, basically.
1: So yeah, yeah, as you said earlier, there you got the mines, you got the ships out of here and the shipyards, uh, you've the mills, and of course you've just kind of servicing a very large and growing population, I guess, through the eighteen hundreds.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: So your your family is obviously on one hand the McLaneys. and where would the Macleanes have come from in Ireland?
2: They were Derry, Stroke, Donegal, so up that end mainly Derry. They would have moved into the city there uh, from Donegal certain areas. So, the, the, I suppose they're
1: what we would know as the uh just for example, McGiola Canigs. Yeah, good idea. yeah, so that that would be uh, um, the followers of St. Canis. Good idea. Yeah. Good idea. So, actually, I have an uncle called uh, Kilkenny in Galway, which would actually be the same surname as such, just anglicised in a different way.
0: To get a real feel for what everyday life was like, Mary and Joe McCLeney brought us to see the tenement house in Bucluck Street. The tenement is the traditional form of housing in Scotland and you must remember now it does not have the same ugly connotations when we mention tenement in Scotland like we do when we're thinking of maybe the slums and the slum houses in England and North America. In the 19th and 20th century the tenement houses here provided accommodation as the population grew rapidly while the city of course went through its industrial expansion. The tall, solid stone buildings, and there are many of them around still today, had one or more dwelling on each story with a shared entrance and hall and stairs. And Mary was telling me as we were looking around how the women took it in turns to clean this common area and shame on anybody who didn't take their turn. The tenement we saw was the home of Miss Agnes Toward, who moved here in 1911 and stayed until 1965. Now, this was the perfect tenement house to view because she made no major changes to the rooms. The only thing she did was have some electricity installed in the 1960s. And walking around the rooms in the tenement museum triggered memories for Mary and Joe of their own childhood. Yeah,
3: Joe and nice, I say that, you know, we were born in the mid-60s and we grew up in tenements, and you know when we my mum and dad had our um, sort of like single enders, but they called them. There was a living room, there was a bedroom, and there was like what you called a scullery, yeah. which was a very very small kitchen. You're lucky yeah. if one or two people could fit into that. Right. Um, and um, we didn't have a bath in our toilet. It was just a big long corridor with a toilet, and that was yeah. it. Um, our bath at night was a metal tin tub you know and when you go to these sort of museums you look at it and you think that's exactly what we used to get washed in and you don't realize the amount of work that involved in doing something like that you know yeah of course even washing you know uh, your clothes
0: did you wonder what the women did in this industrial powerhouse of a city i did i wondered did they get an opportunity to work in the industries I know they must have been very busy with all the children, the cooking and the washing, but did they get a chance to work outside the home? Mary enlightens me when she tells me some more about what life was like for her granny and aunts and the work they did in the industrial area of Clydebank.
3: Well, it was actually my granny when she lived in uh, Clydebank and we used to go and visit. Uh, and she was Irish as well and... Uh, it was actually quite funny because we never actually realised that my granny was Irish. Well, I didn't until I was older. And it was just because you always knew granny was granny. and what, it was.
0: What, what was her surname? Uh,
3: Duffy. Oh. Yeah, so, well, her name is uh, Sarah McCafferty, but before she was married, it was Sarah Duffy. Um, and She was from Lisa Halley. So... Um, it was, it was nice memories of Granny, you know, because she was so strict but loving at the same time, you know, and I think it was just her upbringing. Uh, she was a middle daughter, uh, but when she moved to Clydebank from Glasgow, um, she got married to my granddad in 1936, came over, um, settled in Glasgow, uh, renting a building, I think it was in Partick, and then they get their house in Belmont Street in Clydebank. That was a small tenement. Uh, as the children came along, you know, they obviously needed somewhere better. Moved to Clydebank and got a five-bedroom house, which was like a big palace to them in those days. And Clydebank is the is an industrial area here in Glasgow, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Yeah. Home yeah. of uh, John Brown Shipyards at the time and Singer Factory, where most of Mance obviously We left school, went to Singer, and that became their sort of job, you know, in those days. Am I right in saying the Singer factory? Is that the Singer sewing machines? Yes, that's true. Uh Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so probably my mum and um, maybe about four sisters all worked in there, and it was uh, my mum's uh, neighbour, I think it was, an older gent that got them in there, you know. So uh, it was such a huge industrial place, you know, and had a fantastic community. It was actually just my aunt we were speaking to recently and she moved back to Ireland. She lives in Ballet Buffet and she was saying that you met such interesting characters in Singer, you know. And that's where she actually learned about the constellations and the stars in the sky, you know, from this Very quiet gent, and she says that people used to sit and not really bother with this man because he was so quiet and just keep to himself. But because she was working under him and learning skills, he would start talking about what he was interested in. So when she thinks back and looks at the stars, she thinks of this gent. Uh Yeah. But they had a fantastic social, uh, sort of recreational side and singer. Loads of clubs that they would join. Tons of bus. Uh, bus runs, they would go to fairs. Clybank was such a booming place in those days, you know. Nowadays, a lot of people will go on holiday and they'll fly out, go to Glasgow, whereas Clybank stopped for a fortnight, went down to the Clybank bus station, everyone, the whole family, lined up with suitcases, and it was buses galore, just taking people uh, to Ayrshire, Guruk, anywhere that had a seaside coast, you know. Oh, beautiful, yeah. Jerry, thanks for that. Yeah.
0: Hey. While Mary's female relatives and many women were employed in the Singer factory in Clydebank, we went off to see where many of the men would have worked. So we headed off a few miles outside the city to Summerlee Coal Company. After the spread of the railway system in the 1800s, coal and iron ore mining developed rapidly on an industrial scale and though the Irish were unused to mining and were bigger and broader and older than the locals when they started working in the mines nevertheless they worked in these cramped dark wet conditions ceaselessly. If time permits and you get to visit the summer Lee. Museum, I think you should definitely do that guided tour down the coal mine, walk through the houses on the site, it gives you a real feel for the hardships and the reality of life here at Summerlee. Joe Sullivan family found employment at the mines here at the Summerlee Coal Company, but there was a surprising rise in the fortune of one of Joe's relatives, a mister Joe Sullivan, whose family came over from Ireland in eighteen fifty one and worked in this area.
1: So we've made it to Summerlee Coal Company, again, a few miles outside Glasgow uh, town. And I guess this would have been just one of the many coal works that would have been in the area from, uh, I don't know, 1700s onwards. Can you tell us a little bit more, Joe, about, uh, I suppose, on the one hand, uh, coal mining, mining generally in the area and the attraction, if you like, for the Irish community that was actually migrating into the area?
2: Well, basically, coal mining would be the main fuel to keep the city operational um, and all the mines grew up outside of Glasgow and uh, it was shipped in by barge into the city and when the Irish basically come over looking for, it was mostly labouring jobs they'd find themselves working on the canals, railways etc and coal mining uh, two thirds of the workforce would have been Irish labour uh, and my Sullivan family found themselves basically out here an uh, employment, basically.
1: So your Sullivan side would have been—I think you said—on your um, was it your mother, or your father's side? It's
2: my father's mother.
1: And I do believe, in fact, one of your Sullivans actually made it to a, a fairly interesting uh, place in his career.
2: Uh, Joseph Sullivan became a member of Parliament, basically, for this area, for uh, Lanarkshire. Um, he worked alongside like Sir Kier Hardie uh, and helped him to promote better work conditions for the miners and labourers, especially him coming from an Irish background he worked as a labourer initially when they came over about 1851 you know, his family, he grew up here and basically that was his sole aim, if you like
1: That must be something for a guy in his background to actually break out as a first generation Irish Scot into a position like that
2: Yeah, very much so, you know, we're very proud of the fact. you know, so it's nice to have
1: so, I mean, the coal mines would have been working around here right up until the 1980s or so, would that be right?
2: That's correct, yeah.
1: But I suppose back then it was a much reduced kind of uh, uh, industry compared to back in the 1800s.
2: Yeah, Maggie Thatcher seen a lot of that, basically. But Ravenscraig would be the last big one in this area. And that went round about that period, yeah, unfortunately.
1: Fascinating. Well, I think the, tra- the tram is over there. Time to get the tram back to the car.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> All work and no play they say makes for a very dull life indeed and the people of Glasgow had the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum, a late Victorian building opened in 1901 to visit on their days off work. The opulence of the empire was shown off here and of course it must have been in stark contrast with the everyday lives of the locals and the recently arrived emigrants to the city. Mary and Joe next brought us here to Kelvin Grove to see this imposing gallery. It's located on Argyle Street in the west end of the city on the banks of the River Kelvin, which we learnt was a tributary to the Clyde River and an area where Joe spent much of his youth gallivanting.
1: And we're in front of Kelvin Grove uh, Art Gallery Museum and joe this is a place that's very familiar to you this particular area around here and why is that
2: well basically we played around here as kids and um, there's a lot of surrounding open area grassy areas and swing parts and things so great place to get lost as a kid yeah
1: so you used to actually live just around the corner up here as a youngster and i know today we're referring to some of these places as tenements what, was that actually a word you used back in the day when you lived in the place Basically, yes, yeah. tenement building, yeah. So, so that was always, no, there was no such thing as apartments, flats, no. there were tenements. That was it, basically. So you, you were here for a few years. Are, are, are what we call tenements still in use today in Glasgow?
2: Yeah, very much so, Yep, yeah. They're more modernised now, so yeah, more luxury today.
1: So um, you, you're going to bring us in here into the actual Art Gallery Museum. And what do you think is a particular attract, attraction here?
2: This was to give you an idea of the divide that was created in this city with the influx of the Irish. Uh, it will give you a wee idea of how that looks. You know, when we actually visited
1: places like New York, you know, and they were, let's say, in Tenney Museum, there, talking about the time back in the uh, mid eighteen hundreds when the uh, Gaelic Irish, suppose, uh, arrived uh, using Irish language. Um, it was very much a city of separation at the time over there but over time it got integrated but you know I think a lot of people would be kind of surprised with in one sense how things are still somewhat segregated
2: here, do you you have kind of something to say about that? Yeah it's getting better with each generation Um, everybody's working hard to break down these barriers Uh, but it's very much in place still today isn't that interesting the way things can actually
1: be divided seemingly along uh, religious lines? But you're really talking about kind of different cultures in some way as well, are you?
2: Yeah, yeah, you, you touched on the language. Um, obviously, your background, religious background, is very big here, you know. So our families were Catholic and coming into a Protestant country, basically. So that brought its own issues.
1: And I guess later on we're going to be going to the seat of one of the actual uh, major football teams... One might say in the world, actually, uh, Celtic. And of course, we have Rangers then the other side of the city as well. And I suppose, in some way, those two magnificent totem poles symbolise that particular division as well, even today.
2: Indeed, they do. And I must add, Celtic is more than a football club, as you'll gather when we get there. OK, thanks very much, Joe.
0: <laughs> so off we went inside the Kellengrove Art Gallery. Mary said that her father often came here of a Saturday, as did many locals. It was free, it was warm, and it was a very interesting place to while away a few hours, especially on a cold, wintry day. Mike and I wanted to view the exhibition of the great architect, designer, and artist, and one of Scotland's most influential creative figures who hailed from Glasgow. His name was Charles René McIntosh, and his designs are famous worldwide, An exhibition here in the gallery displayed some panelling and furnishings from a local tea shop, but his buildings, which he was really well known for, are to be found all around the city of Glasgow.
1: Joe, we're inside the Charles Rennie McIntosh room inside in Kelvin Grove Art Gallery. It's absolutely beautiful in here. Just, uh, I suppose, kind of his particular designs, but it's not just inside an art gallery you'll find his designs. I understand you've come across quite a few of his buildings in your time around Glasgow
2: yes I have indeed I was fortunate enough through my work being able to go and visit some of these places and putting in communications uh, for them basically Uh, and so yeah you get a free look is it a style that you admire yourself very much so I think it's uh, very attractive yeah quite modern as well at this stage would you say
1: he Charles Reddy McIntosh his style would actually be just associated with Glasgow and Glasgow
2: with that style I don't know too much about uh, worldwide on Charles Mount. Macintosh, I know he's a famous name but yeah, Glasgow is very associated with his own city, yeah
1: It's funny actually, Macintosh again, you know we're all about the surnames here comes from the old Irish uh, Macintishig same as the actual Apple Macintosh and so on, so you've got the actual uh, son of the leader, and I guess you could say he's certainly the leader in this particular city when it comes to architecture so beautiful, thanks for bringing us here
0: before we went to see the celtic football grounds we stopped off on the way at the irish famine memorial at carathine
2: yeah, here because otherwise it would have been defaced yeah. and that's just sad um but this is it so
1: we've just driven a few miles
2: outside the city of glasgow and joe can you tell us where we are at the moment basically this is Curfin grotto um Basically, there's a priest here that started this way back, and there's a memorial to the Irish famine, the victims of Irish famine, basically here.
1: So we're looking at a Celtic uh, cross. I guess you call it Celtic rather than a Celtic cross as well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it says, "On Gortemore, the Great Famine, to honour the memory of all those who died, suffered, and emigrated to Scotland due to the Great Famine in Ireland, 1845 to 1851." And and Namaka. So, would you consider this to be the main famine memorial around Glasgow at this point?
2: This is the main famine memorial for the whole of Scotland, <laughs> basically, yeah. Um, we're working on one just now, but this is the, the main one, yeah. There's not very many. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because there is another um, uh,
1: another monument inside the city centre, essentially, and it's actually they combined it to being an actual uh, monument to both the f- uh, Highland Clearances yeah. and the Irish Great Famine. And c- can you maybe kind of tell us why they might have been combined like that?
2: Well, the city fathers probably feared um, vandalism, for starters. Um, the community in Glasgow is very split. and Unfortunately, uh, Irish Catholics, um, any monument like that gets defaced, unfortunately, by the protestant locals if you like and it's always been so essentially this would be an area here
1: which is very much in the middle of um in this case a roman catholic area yes. and therefore this particular monument would actually be quite uh quite safe so to speak yes. yeah again again that might be somewhat surprising now for, to some of our listeners to kind of hear that uh, that sort of kind of i suppose everyday sectarianism might be still carrying on but it is a reality of the area at the moment you know that may change over time perhaps uh, but in our journeys around the world, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to see, uh, always to see monuments to the uh, the great famine in Gortemore, sometimes in a neglected line in the background somewhere in the city and nobody cares. Uh, in one sense, having it up here and in your face where people care so much, sometimes it's not such a bad thing, even if they kind of care so much they want to do something about it, it's still worthwhile, you know, <laughs> which is, uh, which is saying something else. Thanks for bringing us out here.
0: There was a feeling of excitement in the car as we headed off for our last stop of the day, Celtic Park. And I could feel a sense of pride from Joe that he had for this place as it represented so much more than a football club and grounds.
1: Joe, we're standing in a place that's of really
2: significant,
1: that's very significant, I should say, to the Irish community in Glasgow. And where are we just now?
2: Well, it's Celtic Park.
1: Celtic Park, the home of Celtic Football Club, as it has been for many, many years. And could you tell us a little bit, Joe, about how Celtic Park, well Celtic, actually came about in the first place?
2: Celtic was formed basically for the poor of the east end of Glasgow, mainly Irish immigrant families. Um, It was a a soup kitchen initially, and it was basically through football that they could raise funds and they went on to do charities throughout the world.
1: And so essentially a group to become one of the, uh, the biggest and the best uh, football clubs, not only in the UK, but across the world. And I think just over that way, I'm pointing over to my, my right, uh, we find uh, Ibrox and we've got Rangers Football Club there as well, which tends to stand for a kind of slightly different thing in Glasgow.
2: Yeah, that's a Protestant stroke Scottish thing <laughs> that we don't get involved with too much
1: that's really a thing okay well anyway but how how are celtic actually doing at the moment
2: we're flying at the moment the top of the league you know so unbeaten at the moment so i'm playing well in, in european football as well so you got
1: eight in a row at the moment going for the nine in a row and once you beat nine in a row you're into uncharted territory
2: yeah, definitely yeah looking forward to it hopefully
1: and joe thanks very much for the tour around the celtic grounds absolutely fascinating place with fascinating history And i love to hear that particular connection with the Irish in Glasgow as well. And you're obviously a proud Irish Scot and Glaswegian who actually has that connection and uh, fosters that connection yourself.
2: Indeed. And as they say in these parts, hail, hail.
0: Well, that was a visit and a half, as we say around here. I even got to sit in Elton John's seat while Mary sat in the famous son of Glasgow seat, the comedian Billy Connolly. We heard the stories of famous players. We admired the trophies. We saw the pride that the locals had in their Glaswegian heritage. The day brought up some powerful emotions for Joe and we had to stop the recording at times. We were honoured to be given the opportunity to get under the skin of this edgy city with our gracious, honest and very open hosts, Joe and Mary. But the last word goes to Mary McClaney, who sums it up for the McLeanies as she tells me what visiting... And arriving back to Ireland means to her today so many generations after her people left our shores Mary joe's wife um, Mary you you said you and Joe visited Ireland for the first time when
3: was it uh... Uh, that was about five years ago we took the children so we went on the ferry and I think the first time that we had arrived in Ireland um I actually felt really connected more than any other place that I had visited. I just, I'm a very tactile person and I feel the need to breathe in everything, touch everything. As I said, I'm not a tree hugger or anything like that, but I just felt I had to touch, you know, grass, touch old buildings to try and get that connection with my past. And it's almost as if you could feel it inside your bones you know and that's when I actually felt I've came home.
0: I don't think anybody could put it better than that. Uh, Thanks so much Mary for putting into words what many of our members of the Green Room often say to us when they come back to visit Ireland and the land of their Irish ancestors. Mike and I are certain we'll be back to Glasgow and Scotland as there is so much more to explore here on the Irish Ancestry Trail. If any of the items we mentioned in the show today caught your attention and you'd like to know more, you can go and see all the links in the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 503. We'd love to hear your comments there. But till then, slán go fóill, and a special thanks to John and Mary McClainy. And even a Gurev Mila Mahagavchi. And thank you because you helped us remember our ancestors and discover more about their lives and times in Glasgow thanks to all the listeners for your company on today's letter from ireland show and to our friends in the green room and of course all our readers on the letter from ireland i hope listeners you enjoyed our trip to scotland and glasgow and and you get to visit glasgow yourself especially if you find that your ancestors passed through as many did on their way to canada and america if you'd like to know more about your own Irish ancestors and want to connect with us and discover more, I'll leave a link um, for the green room in the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 503. Till we chat again, here's a lovely old Irish blessing. Tog Gabugge. take it easy. And we look forward to you joining us again next time on the Letter from Ireland show.